Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to discuss several emotional processing tactics, what they are, how they work, or to what extent they work, and I think more importantly, most importantly, what they indicate about the nature of our psychology. So this question, again, came from a listener, a viewer. Thank you guys for these. Animus at AnimusEmpire.com. Although this question was in a comment, a YouTube comment, which may be a better way to ask me questions honestly, because it helped boost the algorithm in the video. I mean, if, if that's the point of this channel, which it isn't, probably probably uh, some of you are, are also uh, shadow banned at the very least from YouTube for making, you know, you get shadow banned for not that much these days. So comments aside, you can, doesn't matter. I, uh, email me, animus at animusempire.com if you have a question, or if you can, if you want to, post a question in the comments. So this one is about emotional processing techniques like having EFT, emotional freedom technique. I think there's a lot of overlap there with between that and tapping. I think emotional freedom technique is essentially tapping. EMDR, and I'll cover another one, PS Tech. How these work, uh, whether I think they work, whether I think they're useful, or just general thoughts on them. Um, I guess to uh, tease ahead, I, I, I do think they work. I do think these techniques for processing emotions do work and it makes sense. I've, I've done all these. So I can say it makes sense from my perspective why each of these would work in their own way. But just because a technique will work or a tactic works doesn't mean that it matters. It's just a tactic. It's simply a technique. It's not a strategy. It's not a coherent approach to uh, psychological issues. So we'll just say that. And then I'll try to explain what I mean by that here. So, I mean, let's look, just look at these techniques that I mentioned. Havening, this is, I, I just tried this the, a few weeks ago because I was somewhat aware of it, but the, a comment right, the, from this question that made me a little bit more aware of it, I tried it, and it totally makes sense why this works. I mean, what you do in a sense is you touch certain parts of your body, <laughs> not every part of your body, guys, but certain parts of your body, like your hands, your face, your head, uh, your arms, I think your torso to some degree. I think that's about as X-rated as it gets. Yeah, you touch certain parts of your body for therapy. Yeah, I, th I think guys do that too much. No, but this is you as you go through an emotionally disturbing scenario from the past. Okay, so the point of these tactics, these techniques to take a step back is we have these issues from the past, especially painful memories, perhaps traumatic memories, and they cause us a lot of emotional um, disturbance today, right? You can call this a complex. So the goal is with all of these tactics is to lessen the degree that the complex affects us, right? It lessens the severity. I mean, no, you're walking down the street and you're just having a, a good old day and then you uh, a painful memory from the past comes up and you <laughs> your reaction is something to the extent of oh god like oh jeez like that and anybody who's watching you walk down the street must think there's something wrong with you well there is something wrong with you you're still affected by these emotional experiences from the past so we have these techniques to help lessen the degree of these emotional experiences and the theory is as you lessen the intensity of these past traumas the more likely you are to live the life that you want, which I think is generally true. We'll get to it. So one of these techniques is happening, right? You touch, you caress certain parts of your body as you relive an emotionally difficult scenario. Um, another one, EMDR, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's 
kind of similar. You imagine a traumatic scenario, a traumatic situation from the, from the past, and you move your eyes in a certain way, and the theory goes, supposedly, that if you move your eyes in a certain way, this helps you process the trauma. Tapping, emotional freedom technique, very similar. You tap on certain you know, chakras of your body, and this, as you're imagining a traumatic event from the past or emotionally painful event from the past, and this supposedly you know, releases the tension, like, like you tap on your arm or something and it releases the tension because all trauma is, it's just like a collection of electrons in, in your neurons, you know, whatever it is. And then PS Tech, which stands for uh, Processing, uh, uh, no, Percussion and Suggesting Technique. And you listen to this hypnotic tape as you're tapping on, on your desk. And again, but, but you're trying to... Um, it, yeah, yeah, you're you're submersing yourself in the pain as you're uh, doing something with your body. I mean, that that's essentially the point of these emotional processing tactics, uh, and it makes sense why these would work. I mean, it's it's clear, and some of these have worked for me even as when I just try them. I can feel the difference, and I think they work because of exactly what we talked about, or exactly what I mentioned. You are submersing yourself in the pain of this traumatic memory of, of this event. And why do people have neurosis? Is it because of pain? No, they have neurosis because they try to avoid the pain. So I think this is a good way to acclimate yourself to pain of certain you know, difficult experiences uh, from the past. And if, you know, tapping on your face, if listening to a, a hypnotic tape, if moving your eyes back and forth, if caressing your arms helps you to do that, if it's a little bit of a distraction to help you to feel the pain more, then I think that can be really helpful. I mean, this is where I think drugs can be useful, and even drugs that blunt affect, or that blunt emotional pain, like MDMA, that's been shown to work in therapy. Of course, I mean, I have a bunch of issues with that, but that can make sense. I mean, that can make sense how that would work, because you take MDMA, you're in this... Um, more euphoric state and any more euphoric state you have a, a more seemingly emotional resources to to broach these emotionally painful topics and of course you come down from mdma i mean first you're you're hung over for about three days and, but then afterwards you realize wow i was able to feel certain emotional experiences so it, it, it in a sense it helps expand your range uh your ken who there's a good word of emotional awareness of, of, of emotional awareness of what you're ready to take on emotionally and so I think from that perspective whether it's MDMA that helps whether it's caressing your arms whether it's tapping on your face whether it's moving your eyes back and forth whether it's uh, listening to uh, hypnotic tapes and you know tapping on on your desk if that helps you to do that then okay th then that can really be helpful but here's what I think um, these tactics get wrong is uh, and why I think they are good tactics but again they aren't strategies they aren't a solution and you know even and um, I listened to a lecture on happening and the, the lady giving the lecture was you know was very honest in a really healthy way she said look happening worked for me but also I gotta say I did about 15 years of work on my emotional issues on my trauma before I got into happening I think, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that statement. You use this technique to help maybe take you over the edge and to help you get beyond your trauma in an 
even more meaningful way, but was it really that solution? I mean, there was this you know, prepared soil uh, for a really long time. And these emotional techniques, these emotional processing techniques are based on this idea that um, the reason why we have neurotic behavior or the reason that why we're, we're uh, yeah, have neurosis now or we don't act in the way that we want to act or we can't stop acting in the way that we want to stop acting, you know, as we talk about here, is because you have these painful memories from the past that are affecting you now. So the painful event did something to you, and it's because of this thing, this painful event uh, did some, that, that, yeah, this thing that this painful event uh, did to you. That's why you can't go on and, and live the life that you really want. And that is so close to true, as Homer says, that's close but way off. The truth is we have a painful traumatic event from the past. This causes a compensatory behavior. Went back when we were children or even a year ago, it doesn't matter. It causes this compensatory behavior, but, but it's more than a behavior. It's deeper than that. It's a compensatory orientation and attitude, a psychic alignment. And you act in the, yeah, yeah you act, uh, on, on the basis of that attitude, of that psychic orientation, that alignment, and that's what causes the, the neurosis, right? Or that's what is the neurosis. It's actually not the event. And it's, it's, a, it's a subtle shift, but there is a lot of um, importance in that subtlety. So just clearing up the emotional issue from the past, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make a, a more... Uh, or or partake in a healthier behavior now. Um, it just means you may have cleared up some pain from the past. But in order to really get over the past, you have to actually look at how the past inform emotional patterns in you. And then you need to look at, you know, what, what are issues with these patterns and then how can I change to live not necessarily the opposite pattern, but a healthier pattern. How do I relate with my emotions in a healthier way? That's that's the idea. You know, it's... um. I'll spare you another workout analogy. We're uh, we're surfing with those. There's another great word. But how about a diet analogy? Those are great. So a lot of these tactics, I see them like a, a really healthy protein shake, um, which is great. I mean, look, if, if you want to start getting healthier, I think eating more protein, even if you're really not trying to put on a lot of muscle, eating more protein is a, a great start. And maybe a protein shake, a certain kind of protein shake could be healthy for you. But... Ultimately, what you need is a lifestyle. And that's what these tactics do not touch. And they get nowhere close to touching. So again, they are tactics, but they're not really solutions because they don't address neurosis for what it really is, which is your behavior. So I'm not saying that any of these tactics are red flags, but if somebody goes around and parades them like they are solutions, then that's a red flag. You know, another red flag here is that, uh, you notice anything similar about these happening? EFT, EMDR, PS Tech. Do uh, them all in isolation. I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting that we found these solutions to our emotional problems. <laughs> that doesn't require us to really talk to anybody. I mean, in EMDR you do, but it's not a real, you know, it's a therapeutic setting. So 
you're still isolated in, in a different kind of way. So I think that's interesting. You know, I said before, and I'll say it again if you uh, forget, because it's easy to forget. I mean, if I had to put the neurosis of the age into two words that encapsulates a lot of what's going on, addiction, um, narcissistic, narcissistic issues, boundary issues, not being able to separate from your parents emotionally in a healthy way. Uh, the two words I would use to describe it are attachment disorder. People have, do not understand, do not even get what a healthy attachment is. And in a lot of cases, people think that what a healthy attachment is, if they actually see it, they think, oh, well, that's mean. <laughs> they would call it mean or, oh, that's not how people act. It's so far out of the range. And then go back to that word, so or Ken, right? It's so far out of the Ken of of what we see that people either don't even see it or when they do, they label it with a bad name and that's it. So I, I do think it's interesting that all of these more popular tactics for dealing with uh, emotional issues, why are you isolating? You have developed your neurosis most likely in isolation, whether physical isolation or psychological isolation. Now I understand these tactics if you use them as a tactic or technique, they can be used to help you break out of that isolation. But if this is all you do, I, I don't think you're really going to get to the bottom of your issues if you just deal with them in isolation. So that's why the tactic that I think is the best here, the tactic that I use the most that I say that is a, a perfect uh, complement to my to the therapy that I do, the one-on-one -on -one therapy I do is is group therapy. And I know everybody rolls their eyes when they hear the term group. It's been portrayed terribly in movies. You know, it's, it's uh, well, it's actually portrayed accurately. That's how group is run. You know, I think of um, that movie, Jerry Maguire, when uh, uh, Renee Zellweger's sister is in that uh, support group for divorced women. And all they do is just sit around uh, in the living room and, and drink their tea and eat their, their biscuits or whatever. And uh, they're just bitching about stuff. And that's, if you go to a lot of group therapies, that's what that is. But that's not how I run group. You need to talk through these issues, issues that you have, trauma from the past, or maladaptive ways of behaving from the past week. You need to talk through them in a very specific way, becoming ever more conscious of your psychological issue that isn't caused by whatever trauma from your father or your upbringing but you have adapted because of that and you are living out that adaptation now and that's causing the problem. Now, it's not your father's issue anymore, right? It's Now it's your issue, even if he's the one who, quote, caused it. You're the only one who's going to be able to change it. I know that's no fair, but it's simply the way that it is. I mean, it's very similar to, uh, I brought up this analogy last week, liver. Like nobody likes liver, but you know you can condition yourself to like liver, and it doesn't take that long. I did it. It doesn't take that long. Um, what you do is for about two weeks, you don't eat all day. You know you do some kind of fasting or intermittent fasting, or you at least wait till you get real hungry, really hungry, and then you break your fast with liver. You get to the point where you're so hungry, you're like, I don't care what I eat, I'll eat liver, and then you break your fast with liver. 
You do that for a few weeks and you will start to like the taste of liver. I actually did the same thing with bone broth a few years ago and it worked really well. Now, I don't think you could be able to change your taste buds around to like anything. I think there's something about liver. Again, you go, you, you visit indigenous primitive tribes and the liver, you know, a lot of the organs, the offal, that's the prized meat from the kill. You know, whatever we would call a filet mignon, you know, that tender part from the back or the butt, they throw that to the dogs because liver is objectively more nutritious than rib meat or back meat, for instance. So if you do not like liver, it isn't because the liver. It is because you have conditioned, you have been living, you could argue, if, if you want to put it in uh, radical terms, you are living in a poisonous environment. You have become detached from the liver and its life-giving properties. And I look at group therapy when you do it in a correct way, when you are able to talk through issues in the correct way, I think of it as the, uh, as the liver of therapy. You know, because this is how therapy was done for tens of thousands of years, maybe even hundreds of thousands of years. Bone flute ceremony, right? Do I need to bring this? It's been a few months since I brought up the bone flute ceremony. Right? The first religious experience that we really know of or that we can you know, project back and say this is probably a religious experience. I think pain, the pains of the caves in Chauvet, the Chauvet caves, that would, that would be another example, but it comes from around this time, is our hunter-gatherer ancestors on, on what present-day Germany playing a bone flute to appease the storm gods. That was the first god, the storm gods. This is a projection of anxiety. So you play this bone flute to make sure the storm doesn't come, or if it does come, it's not as intense, or if it does come in and it is intense, it protects your family. That's why your name is written. It's not technically written, but your, your markings are on the bone flute that you're playing to the storm god. That is how we manage anxiety 40,000 years ago, and that's exactly uh, the same way that we manage anxiety now in group. There's this issue out there that we all have we can project it out. We call it anxiety. That is no way less supernatural. Well, it's a little bit less supernatural. Calling it anxiety. You know, once we get better technology, better ways of measuring the brain, uh, we're going to get more definite about what anxiety really is. For now, anxiety is simply this concept that we call anxiety. Uh, and you appease the anxiety by talking through the issue in a healthy way. That's the technology, or, or yeah, that's the tactic that you use. And I think something like that works better because, you know, I mean, call me crazy. I, I think we, um, yeah, we develop consciousness to form complex emotional relationships with other people. And that's what you do in group in a sense. And that's really what helps you manage the, the trauma, manage the psychological pain. We didn't develop consciousness, I don't think, to sit around in isolation and, you know, tap on our faces. So I will leave it there. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Have a happy holidays. Well, you know, I'll just say this because I bitch about this every year, but I'm going to bitch about it again this year. Like, look, I'm not one of these people who thinks that, like, uh, and you got to say Merry Christmas, otherwise it's the downfall of the West because the, because we go around saying Happy Holidays to everybody. But, you know, I had an experience this past week, which does really bother me. And it's a buddy of mine from New York. I, I know him from grad school. 
and uh, and he's Jewish. I, I know that he's Jewish. And he, we were emailing back and forth, and one of the emails he said, happy holidays, and then put his name. And I just got super pissed at him. Like, dude, you saying happy holidays. Okay, what you want to say is happy Hanukkah. I know he celebrates Hanukkah. So you don't want to say happy holidays, or you don't want to say happy Hanukkahs because you know I'm not Jewish. And so you think you saying happy Hanukkah would somehow diminish our relationship or would diminish our friendship or what? It's going to be divisive. It's like the implication there is that we are different because we come from two different backgrounds and we can't find any common ground. So just saying happy holidays is like trying to round off our edges for the sake of the other person, even if it's a relationship where we're much, I mean, I don't know if we're friends, but we're definitely much more than simply acquaintances. So I got super pissed at him. <laughs> he knows he knows who he is. He may even watch this. That's fine. I told him. So that's like, you know, what I was saying last week about Hick, Hick and Mori. You know, it's, it's much more than a staying home by yourself. Yeah, that's the end result of it. You do Hick, Hick and Mori enough and you will stay at home and not leave for 10 years. But we all do a subtle Hick, Hick and Mori when we, when we kind of tune out our psychic libido and turn it in on us. Like the example from last week, right? You're at a business meeting and, and you have something you want to say, but you don't say it because, oh, somebody might, might not like it. You come up with a million excuses. And I just can't help but think that saying happy holidays is some kind of, of one of these mild hikikimori. Like it implies this, uh, this divisive, it, it implies this divisiveness. It implies that we aren't really going to get along. So we have to, in a sense, lie about what we're celebrating and just say happy holidays. And I know somebody would say, oh, well, no, it's, that is the inclusive way of expressing it is saying happy holidays. Why does it matter if we're celebrating two different ways? We can't speak to that directly. Otherwise, we're too different. That's the implication. So that's like a subtly annoying thing for me. Uh, saying happy holidays when you mean something else. All right, guys. So take care. Uh, thank you for watching. Yeah, if you have any questions, leave a comment. Animus at animusempire.com. Thank you, guys. And remember to have... A Merry Christmas.